Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Benmorgi. Welcome to Not That Kind of Rabbi, uh, and uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, more and more people seem to be doing it. It's a wonderful thing. I'm not much on carny barking when this stuff happens, but I would appreciate any support we can get is always lovely because we want to keep growing what we're doing. Today, uh, before I introduce my guest, I wanted to talk about uh, on this particular day of taping, uh, is taping still a word? Uh, of taping this particular show. Uh, it's the day, two days after the federal election in the United States. And all around me, I see people sad and traumatized, even though we're Canadians, the effect is real and it's now. Uh, and it's not so much about anything more than what I can't help but feel is a kind of moral depression that after four years of absolutely morally bankrupt leadership, and I mean in the most profound sense of the words, when you have a chief of staff, and I've worked in politics, and chiefs of staff are there for every breath and heartbeat of, of, of the leader that they work with. When John Kelly, a former chief of staff, says the man is a pathological liar, completely unfit for office, and close to 50% of Americans think that's a good idea. It makes me really wonder about, and then the support of, of people who call themselves religious. I don't understand. It seems to be that if, if the man gives you what you want, you'll put up with anything. And if that's where we're at, we're in really big trouble. The American experiment has been as much about cultural imperialism as anything else. Hollywood is a, is a vehicle to expand the idea of America as the ultimate empire in the world. How many American movies have you seen that end with a jaw that's clenched and a salute that goes up and, sir, you know, militarist, nine years America has not been at war in its history of over 200 years, nine years. And we keep being told they're the beacon of light, the, 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 the freedom, message is only viable through America. And I just can't help but believe that so many people around the world right now are thinking, done, we're done. You guys can stop telling us you're the greatest country on earth. If you can have Donald Trump seriously considered not just once, but twice to be the president of the United States, it says so much about where we're at as people. And it also says a lot about neoliberalism, about the idea of things for you and not for others. And it speaks to me as a spiritual counselor, as what I like to refer to as the God hole. Just, we don't have anything bigger than us anymore. We're God. We don't even have a climate that we can care enough about to do anything for. And yet without it, we can't exist as people. We're actually digging our own grave gleefully. What choice do I have? I need that work, I, you know? There's so many elements of the private good over the common good that have just infiltrated every part of what we think is the happy life fantasy. If I, you know, I know I've got this great Range Rover, but apparently there's a new 100K Lexus out there that I should really get. Maybe no, actually the Tesla, that would be really. So we end up in this game of nothing, this game of things you can't take with you. You know, he who has the most toys when they die wins. That was a bumper sticker 20 years ago. And we're living it. And this man is the embodiment of just, the man has a golden toilet. 
he goes to the bathroom at in his Trump Tower in New York in a gold-plated toilet. And people think he's the people's representative, that he speaks for them. So I, I just find myself in the company of so many people right now who feel profoundly depressed that this is where Western civilization's beacon has now just had their light turned off. And doesn't, I don't know what we're going to do, but it might be with the pandemic in this that we have a spiritual opportunity, that we have an opportunity to turn away from this idea of what do I have for me and back to this idea of just walking each other home. That's all we're trying to do. So there's my rant for today. It's not biblically profound in any way. I'm not going to start making those Pharaoh comments, even though that's what he is. Um, but that's that. I want to turn pivot to friendship and comradeship and someone who I've been close to for, I don't know, we're, we're going to hit 40 years eventually. We're getting there. Uh, but he's a, a dear friend to me. Uh, and a lovely man, uh, James B., is my guest on Not That Kind of Rabbi today. Mr. B., sorry to keep you waiting, sir. How are you? That's okay. A little bit of a buzzkill. Are we going to talk about, like, martinis <laughs> and farts now or something? No, no, we're not. I am your guest. I will, I will, we will yeah, see you see, today we're, we're actually, we're going to do a bit of a spiritual biography of James B. We're, we're, <laughs> and, and that doesn't mean we end up with the martini, but it doesn't mean we don't. No, that's okay. This was water a few minutes ago, but after you were talking, I don't know what. <laughs> it just turned at this time of the day. All right. I want to start with something that you said years ago that always stuck in my mind. You say it a lot as a narrative piece of your life story, but underneath it, I feel there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of pain and there's a lot of, you know, stuff so the, the the thing is you're from north bay ontario and you would always tell me and anyone that you ran away from north bay you ran out of town you were and that you were run out of town well and it's supposed to be funny it's supposed to be funny well, I, I i treated it pretty funny um yeah, i don't know but if everybody would have feel good that. Yeah. I, what happened is I was teased a lot in school. My parents were only aware of a little bit of it. I didn't go home and tell my mom and dad someone beat me up or put my face in the mud or whatever. Um, and, you know, it's not like the cyberbullying today that can be really creative and long lasting. And it's also not like getting knifed. Uh, but there was a lot of violence, a lot of fear. And because I had so many friends that were girls, uh, everybody uh, in, in the 70s, everybody would say I was a fag. And I didn't really care because I didn't care what people said. And I had a handful of good friends and I dressed really funny. But what I was going to say, the thing that I did that most people wouldn't do, I felt I was being run out of town in the sense of I just I didn't feel good there. I, I wanted to be in the big city and I needed to burn my bridges. I didn't want to come back. So I dressed in drag since they called me gay anyway. I dressed in drag and brought back. Uh, my school books, and then hitchhiked to Toronto. So that maybe that's a fun story, but yeah. it's a little bit weird. Okay, so let's. What makes you decide to burn the bridge? Because that's heavy, man. That's like you can say what you want. It's your hometown. Your family's mm -hmm. there. Um, you did have friends. You were treated horribly by other people. That's a deep thing to do. To say. Uh, 
I'm turning my back on you. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't maybe not turning my back. It was, okay, I knew I wanted to leave. For the first time when I came to Toronto, I don't know if I was 12 or 13, my parents, we just drove down, you know, for, for a couple of days. But I knew just walking around on the streets, I'm like, oh no, I have to be here. I absolutely have to be here. And when I was 16, I had a TV show on Mid-Canada Television. So I was starting to get recognized. It was like a, a variety show, like a talent show. And I realized I don't wanna be recognized in a town of 54,000 people. And by the way, there's still 54,000 people. I asked my dad, why is the population exactly the same? And he said, that's easy math. Every time a girl gets pregnant, a guy leaves town. So it just stays. <laughs> you see what I mean? <laughs> that's my dad but but the thing is I really felt like I had to go and burning my bridges I thought of it more like a Hollywood thing to do it wasn't like dressing up in drag and going to school and knowing like now I can't come back um was that's was a heavy thing to do man I yeah I guess so, come on to, to I know dress it, up, didn't feel, it didn't feel so that when someone says to you you're nothing you're nobody you're you're this you're that your response isn't to shrink. Your response is to go in your face. Right. Because I actually, because of my upbringing with my parents, I, I knew that I had something to offer the world and I knew that I wasn't a bad person. So when someone's trying to tell you, you are, you've already got this uh, Teflon uh, vest that that's not, it's not going to stick to me. So I was tired of being bullied and I was tired of being in a small town and I was tired of not seeing much opportunity to do anything else. Um, and I didn't want to go back. And and again, yeah, it was a little bit of a, uh, when yeah. it comes to just saying, oh yeah, you think you're going to call me a fag? And I honestly didn't care. I mean, I did have group sex a few times in high school, but I honestly didn't care what people called me. I just knew that this was not a place I was going to stay. And I thought by doing that, like, I didn't even know if I'd be going home to visit for Christmas, although I did expect I would. I thought, well, I'll go home and visit my parents, but I will not be going to high school reunions or whatever the kids do. So whenever you go to see your dad in North Bay now, do you ever bump into anybody from school from those days? Uh, the last time was about four years ago. And I had a guy come up to me and offer to buy me a drink. And I said, are you Gary? And he said, yeah. And I said, you used to beat me up all the time. And he said, actually, you were asking for it. And I said, what? I didn't ask for it. He goes, actually, maybe you did. He says, I remember that you would yell, hey, big ears, you look like a taxi with both doors open or something. And then I'd run away. I said, oh, yeah, but hold on. You had already beaten me up for six months before that. And I just decided you were going to beat me up anyway. I might as well yell and run. <laughs> like, that's, so How did he react? Uh, but I let him, well, he laughed and he bought a beer and we started talking just a little bit. And then another guy comes up and this is the serious part of the story that another guy comes up and says, hey, I'll buy you a beer. And I turned around and saw him and I said, I will never let you buy me a beer. And he looked at me, he goes, what's the matter? That guy beat you up. And I said, yeah, but it was your house. When a bully came up to me, I just survived a house fire. My hands were all in bandages, second degree burns, big bubbles, bandages. And at his house, a guy came and burst all my bubbles in front of everyone who was laughing and he did nothing to stop it. So I said, you, my friend, I'm not gonna forgive. You, I'm, you I'm not gonna drink with. That's a lot of wounding. Yeah, that, well, that's the, that was the worst, absolutely the worst thing in my life, if you're gonna talk about wounding, because I had just survived a house fire in Toronto. I moved to Toronto, my house burned down and I went back to the hospital. Oops. Who else was in that house with you when it burned down? 
I had two friends from the beaches uh, who were over. We were writing uh, songs, comedy, punk songs. And uh, I had a couple of roommates who I didn't know. I just moved into a house. But one of the roommates left all the candles going when he went to bed and burnt the house down. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Blessing, though. It was a blessing. So did... Not, not, the, not, the, not the hand stuff. That was no blessing. The, the, the house burning down means I had to start all over. And because I was so busy as a kid and I really felt like I knew my path, this was a way of starting over and everything was different. And I, I'm sure I'm not the same person because I value every moment every day and I know right. nothing's permanent. And it just spiritually, it woke me up. That's so interesting. Where, what, what did, where, where did it take you spiritually? It took me to, I guess, what Buddhists would say, it's just every moment, you're in that moment. Every decision is going to make something else happen, but you don't have to overthink it. Go with what feels natural and, and don't take things for granted and tell people you love them and, and, and try to help other people. And if you're ever sad, just go to a cafe, sit down and eavesdrop on the next table and you'll find out you're not doing too badly. So all of the lighthearted things that stay with me really kicked ass after I lost everything. Right. The impermanence of it all. Right? And, and the fact that I, I'm not going to spend my life going, I wrote uh, screenplays. Uh, I wrote a, a TV uh, episode of the Bob Newhart show. Um, and I'm pretty sure the letter from Bob Newhart is also was also in the fire. I know all my puppets died. Like I had, I had a lot of stuff and I had a TV show. I had all the TV shows on the original tapes. When I left North Bay, the guy in charge of, of the station said, you might need these for a demo reel sometime. And he gave me the masters. So everything is gone. Everything was gone and you had to, but you see, this is an interesting part of, for me, you, which is, and I guess we kind of have this in common is reinvention. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. I always saw you as somebody who wasn't waiting around for other people to, to say, you can now do things. You, you, you made them happen. It's why, it's why I knew I couldn't pursue what I thought early in my life, I was going to be an actor. And I saw people auditioning. I got to Toronto and some great actors weren't working. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to write, I'm going to produce, I'm right. going to direct. I'm going to act if I'm asked, but I'm not very good. I'm okay in theater, but not, not film. Um, and, uh, and I'll do music because no one can stop me from writing a song and standing on the street. So yeah, I was for stand up. It was the same for me as I, right, I'm not waiting right. for permission from somebody that I can be a, a grape in an underwear commercial, you know, exactly. I'll just go on stage. And, and you were and a great, you were a great MC. I would say back in those days, you and Howie Mandel and, and later on Mike Bullard, but you guys all had this weird memory. I don't think you did enough drugs. You guys had weird memories and you could remember what somebody had said an hour ago in the comedy club and bring it back in later. And so it was kind of like you were a really important thread uh, uh, through the night. And I think that that's probably one of the hardest jobs is the, and this is why I love it so much as a challenge is to be an MC. just if it's not actually about you and you can keep the thing moving along really yeah, quickly. Yeah. And then it is about you in a way. Everyone remembers how good you were, but you don't have to do that much. You just uh, have to you don't. Well, you can relax because you're coming back out four, three more times, five more times. So you That's don't right. have to ha kill in 10 minutes. You can just have a good night and build momentum. I always enjoyed that. If, would you 
was there a spiritual life that was moving at the same time in you? Even like, you know, as a kid, did you have those big thoughts of why am I here and why do we have to die? And I'll tell you what, I've never told anyone on public, whatever. Um, yeah, once I was really uh, existential, I guess. It wasn't depression, it was more than that. But anyway, I'm walking around and I'm just thinking about the universe and I'm like, if there is anything out there I don't need to call you God or, you know, what if there's anything out there and we're not food for worms, I need a sign right about now. And I looked up and there was a white cross in the sky and my eyes are watery. And as my eyes clear, I realize I'm standing leaning on a street post and it's the corner of Elizabeth and Vimy street. And it's not a cross in the sky, but then I thought you clever little bastard, you gave me a <laughs> sign I can totally explain. So now it's up to me again. <laughs> but it worked it kept me I, i've really rarely heard god i've rarely heard god referred to as you clever little bastard but i like it <laughs> yeah and like also it. it's like this is like really really clever because it answers my question without even giving any proof and i'm like ah but i liked it it made me feel really happy so your your folks didn't take you to church or anything or did your mom do that so I had to go to church just for a little bit. And I was an altar boy for one summer because oh, wow. my cousin was getting married and my grandparents were visiting from Cape Britain and we should be at church because they were super religious. And my dad's side of the family, very religious. Right. Um, my dad is a born again atheist and my mom believed in leprechauns and unicorns, uh, leprechauns and unicorns. So I'm in the middle there, right? Um, I so believe- Where are you then? I believe that we're not food for worms, but I wasn't going to go by the letter of the Bible because I saw people that went to church that were pious and and not doing what the commandments say. So I just I kind of left it very early. And so how does you how do you nurture a spiritual life then if you don't have a religion? I'm not saying you're supposed to. Oh, I'm oh uh, well, I mean, it was like my dad would say and he was never preachy and he never told me how to think and I'm not saying he was like he's dead now he's alive but when I was a kid he would it would be by example that I would figure out that I didn't need a book for a moral compass that I know that I'm fortunate because I have food and I have a loving family and, and so I know I'm fortunate so what can I do to help somebody else while I go on my merry way and try to make something out of my life because I knew I was into art. And when I found out art was a job that you could, you could sell a painting, write a poem. Well, poems don't make much money, but you know, anything, finger painting, acting, music. When I found out that's actually a profession, I was five years old probably. And I, I kind of knew that that was probably going to be my life. And so I also knew it wasn't going to be easy. So spiritually, I kind of just knew that it was like, be good to other people while you're trying to get your, your own stuff done. Um, and then it wasn't until I worked for you uh, or with you on the CBC, um, that's when I had my new age moment. I was dating a lovely girl named Elizabeth, madly in love. I explored monogamy for three years. That's called Ripley. Um, but at the time, right, this was the big love of my life. And I really got kind of new agey. And I went to Burl Ives' house and I met some of his spiritual friends and, and stayed there for a week. And I had, I had a real boost of, of uh, creative energy and it was all spiritualism, new age, 11-11, all this. It was, it, was, it was trippy, a little bit of Freemason reading and all that, but it was, 
it was just a, a student of life. It, I wasn't going to follow anything in particular, but I found everything interesting. So there's a lot in there. So Elizabeth and an attempt at, at staying with one person over a period of time, which I know is not your inclination. Yeah. You, you like falling in love. Uh, I do, and it comes as a surprise every single time because I'm not looking for it. I, I know, but it, to, to me, like when I see you go through these things, I, I watch your intoxication with it, and, and it's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's this time where it's finally like, man, that's not for well, me. Well, and it's not always but my choice. I still love them, but it's yeah. not for me. It's not always my choice. In fact, I would say uh, on every single occasion, which is really interesting, I never thought of that, but in every occasion I can imagine right now, it was mutual. It was, it was very peaceful. It was, it was talking it through. It was like, man, I still love you. I'm not going to go from loving you to not loving you, but... I don't know how this is going to work. I don't think we're supposed to stay. To, is this it? This, right? But this one, Elizabeth, you thought was the soulmate. Oh, I was. It's the, it, that first kiss uh, was the kind of kiss that they make works of art or fight wars over. It was the thing that you see in movies. And, and anyone who's had it and knows what that is, I mean, because it's different to everybody, but um, it's the thing that I go, hey, I got that once. And... I don't mean to sound too sappy, but I'm lucky that that happened once, let alone more than once. But that first real thing, I was completely madly in love for years. So Burl Lives, which you throw out as if everybody knows, but I happen to know you've got a tattoo on your shoulder, but also, yeah. But I also know that you, you had a real relationship with this guy who to me is just like Burl Lives, like actual Burl Lives, not an icon. The Academy, yeah, the Academy Award-winning actor. Thinking of Burlies, but just Burlies. But what kind of? Yeah. So, what kind of uh, spiritual things did you do with him? What kind of teachings were there? And what kind of? With the teachings were actually with his wife Dorothy, um, and I just found out she passed away a few years ago. I hadn't heard from her in a long time. Uh, so Dorothy was the first. Uh, person that really gave me some good reading. These were books that Burl had read and that he enjoyed, and she thought I should be reading them while I was staying at their house. One of them was so good. I uh, when I got because they're in Anacortes, I got to I got to uh, Vancouver, and I ran and I bought the book in in between uh, plane stopovers, um, and so it was it was reading uh, from their library, and it was crazy stories about uh, the fact that Dorothy believed that Burl was the reincarnation of uh, Pike who founded Freemasonry, modern Freemasonry. Um, so oh, yeah. There, yeah, and there was all kinds of interesting stories and their library was the kind of old library with the big ladders and dusty books that you really knew there was some magic in that room, in that library. So, so she was the one who explain got me. Freemasonry. Explain Freemasonry to me, because I, I, I don't. I don't think I can. But what, what I, I can know say, what But what I can say is, the the few things I read uh, sounded like, um, uh, like like a, a, a way more spiritual Kiwanis Club or something. It didn't sound like a big mysterious <laughs> world. It didn't sound in any way bad. Um, but there is one book that's impossible to find called Foundations on Earth. And I think it was called, it was Marie Bauer, I think who wrote it. Um, 
she kind of studied Freemasonry and she was one of the main proponents to write about uh, uh, Samuel Clemens uh, uh, and, and, and all those people that didn't believe Shakespeare wrote his own work and that it was Sir Francis Bacon and a bunch of his friends and the whole theory behind that Shakespeare didn't write his oh, work. Yeah. Mark Twain. All of the answers were hidden in the Broughton vaults in Virginia and then they were moved somewhere else. Um, but that uh, that there, that it's like the milli vanilli of the millennium. And then the reasons why would they lie and make him the writer and do all this stuff. So it's, I, I was more interested in, in finding out whatever secret I could than the actual tenant and, and, and what the, the whole thing is about. So, I mean, no one's ever asked me to join. I'm not very good with handshakes and clubs anyways, but I, I found it interesting and, and it didn't seem remotely what Hollywood would try to paint them like the Freemasons are Illuminati or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's really weird. You, uh, you do something that's it, to me is kind of a fourth church, which is you bring people together around music and art and event. Mm -hmm. uh, and I only see, I see you so happy when all that comes together Mm -hmm. And you know that you've had something to do with it. Uh, you, you almost like levitate. You walk by about a foot off the ground going, isn't it a great night? Yeah, right. I right. do. I, I freak out when I see, and also the amount of times I hear the word thanks, uh, it's unbelievable how many people are grateful because it's easy for me to see somebody and go, I know who can help you. You need to meet this person. And it doesn't mean uh, financial help all the time, or it doesn't mean uh, 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 creative or employment. It could be any type of help, but just people that should be together, that should be friends or should date. I'm not trying to be a matchmaker, but it almost always happens. And it's at, it's in this, uh, and I'm looking around here. Uh, I'm looking around here. It's like right over there by the piano, right? That's, that, that's where it happens, right over there. Um, and when people, and when people, uh, are so happy. I mean, there's a lot of tears of joy at my parties and it sounds maybe new agey, but it, I mean, we're just so moved. June Garber will sing a song or Genevieve Baratet will sing a song and everybody's just overwhelmed with how lucky we are. And I'll sometimes say that, I'll say, you know, the, the amount of love in this room and everyone's got an open mind and nobody's freaking out about things and the world out there is crazy, but when you come in here, we're all together. It feels just like church is supposed to feel and often does for, for many people, but, um, but it doesn't work for me. So this is, I don't I never call it my church, but this is what it feels like. It feels yeah. like having that much love in a room and everybody, and I'll even say sometimes, you realize that in the entire world right now, Right here, we are some of the luckiest people because we're here right now experiencing that song you just heard. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, uh, art and music particularly are really, for a lot of people, that, that is church now, you know, to be able yeah. to yeah. join together and listen to music. And sometimes it's knowing every word to a song that somebody's singing that you've sung by yourself alone for years. And you didn't even realize they'd be part of their set list and think, oh, wow, okay, they, they, they think it's good enough too. I love this song. Right, know? right. And some people, especially, I find it just, I should say personally, not especially, personally, I find when it's somebody a little bit left of center, when I was a little kid and I would go see Nina Hagen, right? Mm -hmm. She was crazy. She was doing punk opera. Um, but then you're in a room full of people who get the same thing. 
right? So whether it's Killing Joke or whatever band I was seeing, this was like, wow, I'm not the only one who gets this. Um, and then for, for people that have a more normal taste, you know, that's why would you spend a hundred bucks to see Elton John this big at the ACC? Well, it's because it feels like church. It's because that gathering of people, because you all love it so much, it's palpable in the air, the amount of, the vibe is something different. So we're not kids anymore, you and I. No, we're not. No, your hair is, but you're not. <laughs> no, we're not. Uh, well, at least we both still have it. I can say I try. No, I'm not even trying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a bob. Uh, <laughs> Where do you think you're at? Like when you look at, okay, what do, what do, what have I been doing? What will I want to do? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have answered that a year ago, but I sure can now. I've had a uh, whatever nine months to percolate in my house and not have visitors. Um, uh, I constantly juggle that as to am I doing enough? A am I taking the easy road? Should I be working harder? Should I be working smarter? Should I be working at all? I, I think about all those things. Um, and in the last while, I I I've got my my inner youth uh, back in in a sweet way because I am so happy to write and to draw and to just be creative uh, during this whole shutdown thing. Um, I've been lucky because for here and there, I, I, I get into a jazz bistro and book a few bands here and there, but for the most part, I've it's been me and my imagination. We haven't had guests in this house. I only have two roommates, so we haven't had guests in this house uh, since March. Um, I've gone out for dinner with people, go out for long walks, six feet apart, doing all that stuff. But um, I feel right now that because I work with people, a lot of the people I work with are in their 20s or early 30s. And a lot of people I work with are 70. Don Franks was 84 and my best friend, right? So, so because I, I get energy and I feel like I totally belong with the young crowd. And then I talk to the old crowd and like Don Frank said, don't you forget us old people went to Woodstock. Like you didn't invent drugs and parties and drinking and having fun. We did that too. So it's really cool to look at. And Don, uh, Franks was the guy who said, you should turn 50 because I was in denial and I was 42 for eight years. And yeah, he said, yeah, when you turn 50, own it because there's a lot of cool people who don't get to live to be 50. And if you're 50, that's the new 50. That's young people are, are going to start to wonder if 50 is even old. And I said, well, I owe it to you, Don, because you're 84 and you're not lying about your age and you're the coolest guy I know. So I own my age, 57 right now, but I don't feel it at all. I, I'm still 42. I don't know if I'll ever get past that, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. There are days where I, I have flashes of me and I'm 12. And then days where I feel like, I'm 64, and then other days where I just think, I, I think for people who have come from an artistic background, age kind of never really enters the conversation in the same way because you have to keep stoking the, the fires of youth, not youth, but childlike wonder and awe. That's, that's you're the have part that comes natural. Right. That's the part that comes right. natural is the wonder and the joy and the fact that I, I don't know how anything works. I don't know how my toaster works, but I know how to work the toaster, but I don't know how anything works. I'm so sure that everything that 
is around today is because we had lots of help from aliens. I can't, how, how did somebody figure out how to make a rocket? It was aliens helped us out with that. Because okay, <laughs> I can't get my head around it. So that's the young part in my head. And I don't ever uh, go for conspiracy theories, but I love the what if game. So I won't, I will listen to anybody's stuff without immediately shutting it down uh, with the exception of uh, COVID and the, the 5G towers, that was my favorite because yeah, somebody showed me a map and this is where COVID's the hottest and this is where the 5G towers are the hottest. And I said, yeah, and this is a population map. <laughs> it's just it's just the most people live in the place where there's the most 5G towers and where there's the most <laughs> it, ah, it makes me crazy. So, All right, so if I asked you, uh, if I say the word God, what do you say? Uh, life, universe. Yeah, yeah, life. Because life. because if you say God is love, then God can't be only love. Right. Or that doesn't make any sense. And the, the yin yang that we're supposed to live with, if you, if you, it's too simple to say God devil. And besides, God probably looks a lot like me, according to what people think. And that ain't it. <laughs> if, you know, I'm pretty sure God is a they. I don't think God's a male or female. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I actually think God is a verb. It's not That's an actual nice. noun. I like that. Sure, right? I like that. It's it's you know we tend to want to humanize it so that we can understand it. You know, there's a particular way of living life where you got to attach to certain things. I have to watch my habits though, Ralph. Sometimes I lose it. At, like when I get really happy, I'll go, "Oh, God bless," and I realize, "Oh, wait." Is there an atheist around? Because they're going to think that I'm really religious. I'm not. I just, some of these sayings stick with me. But isn't that interesting? Because the idea that if you, what would, if somebody thought you were religious, what would you think that would make them think of you? Uh, well, I can't imagine if someone knew me well, that they would think, well, I think they think I'm a hypocrite. I mean, if, if I'm supposed to be, I, I, I usually take, I know, I know a Christian. He is a perfect Christian and he's a really good friend of mine. And I'm like, man, this guy cares so much about people. He's so nice all the time, never judging, never preaching. He'll preach if you let him, he, he wants to, but he's a perfect friend. He's a perfect guy. So I'm like, wow, that that's pretty interesting. Then, this is pretty funny. I asked him to uh, edit or to give me some pointers on my dad's book. And my dad is a full on atheist and the whole book is about that. Yeah. And he said, that was the hardest favor I've ever done for a friend is reading your entire dad's book that's picking apart everything I believe in. Your dad is no fan of organized religion in any way, shape, or form. And he reads so much about it. He's he's not he's not against religion. He my dad loves everyone should do what they want, but he goes, I don't see the point. And he tells who says why. But but he's not trying to, he's not Dawkins, he's not trying to go out there and change people. He's just doing his thing. But because of that, I always think. I, I equate kind of religious with pious with thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt, or thou shalt. Yeah, most people do, I think. Yeah, uh, but they see religion as either naive or oppressive. Right, and, right. And, and worse. And I don't think that of either of them. I just think when it comes to me, um, I, I, I don't find those stories uh, particularly uh, enjoyable to read, and God knows. I said it again. God knows. I've, right. uh, I've, I've, I've read enough. When I was younger, I did go through that whole thing. So I always thought you were kind of a pop Buddhist. <laughs> Thank you. Quote, I'll quote you on that. You know what I mean? Like, sure. you, you really, uh, 
put a lot of faith in the moment and the presence to be here. And you're not particularly theistic in any way. You're not like, you know, higher power connected kind of guy. But then again, you have such a joy about life. It's hard and, to and, and I feel that connection to creation. Like there was a lot, especially lately, a lot of time in, in my room writing things. And I, sometimes I write something, I'm like, wow, did I even write that? Where did that come from? And it's usually the stuff I like the best that I don't want to take credit for. Um, so I feel a connection. I've had a few of those crazy moments, like, like lying in bed, my hand shoots up and a light goes, and I feel like I'm all golden and stuff. That's happened twice in my life. That's and who cool. knows why. Do you, do, what do you think after that? Well, my phone rang. Uh, the first time that happened, my phone rang, and it was our mutual friend, Brian Ainsworth. He, uh, he was calling me. Oh, he was calling me uh, to tell me that one of my best friends had just died. And I oh. said, that is so weird, because last night I had a dream about this guy, and it's a really strange, funny dream. Uh, and then I didn't think anything of it. And it was just like, it was like a memory of something we had actually done and then a bit of a dream attached to it. Um, uh, and so, so it was kind of, um, I don't know what to call a telepathic moment where you, yeah. you became part of the stream and it, the stream was disturbed by the death of your friend. And then yeah. you were told that that had happened. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, cause this blowy thing happened. And then, and then, and then like two minutes later, the phone rings. Yeah. Yeah. But what's that about? You know I, I, I mean? didn't make heads or tails out of it. All I knew is there was this vibration. There was this thing. Oh, and, and, and just a little while later, this is all at the same time. Let's say it's the same year. And it's funny because where I live now, uh, this happened half a block away from me uh, where all this happened 20 years ago. Um, but what also happened was a few days later, I had another dream about this guy and he showed up and I said, you can't be here because you're dead. And he laughed, he goes, oh, you cracked me up, you're so funny. So I got my Polaroid in, in my dream and I spin around and I take a picture of him. <laughs> I go, I got proof, I got proof. And then I woke up and I went, what was that? And I went, I think I have a photo of Mike somewhere. So I go through my, my big pile of photos and I found the exact Polaroid of Mike with the same light right over his head but it was from years earlier in Kensington Market, not in Sudbury, where my dream took place. So it like, like, yeah. I think when it comes to people and, and well, Don Franks is a whole other story, but, but the, the connection with people and, and Don, by the way, when he died, I was with him so often and he was so graceful and so otherworldly and so accepting and chill. And he just kept wanting to share he was really animated trying to share everything he could tell me in his last little while. And then when my mom started fading, I was there for her way stronger than I ever could have been if I hadn't gone through that with Don Franks. Right. Like he, he taught me the, the graceful way of going, like not since Timothy Leary has I, have I ever heard of someone uh, being graceful when, it, when it's time to go. Your mom dying was a big thing for you. Well, it was, it, it was, of course it was big, but it was also kind of magical. Like she stuck yeah. around, she stuck around for the last Christmas. And my poor dad thought that she was going to maybe get up and entertain and, and get that last wind, that second wind, but yeah. there was no way. Um, so she died uh, a boxing day. And, 
but but to be there for her all this time and still even under her breath she was getting so weak but she was still cracking jokes so she she's like she just never stopped uh uh being her like right to the very end and it was it was kind of beautiful in a way i mean my my sister called me and said uh if you want to say goodbye to mom you better get back here and i said shauna I, I just got home three hours ago and i just said goodbye to her i said i don't i i hope you guys are okay i'll come back if you need me to come back for you but i already said goodbye to her and she goes oh wait a minute wait a minute and then she said I think she stopped breathing. And so I said, keep the phone open, please. Just even if you don't want to be on the phone, just leave the phone open. So I'm kind of there with you. And, uh, and my dad was good about it. He's like, it's done. We're, we're going to make some calls and, and uh-huh. don't come up. You, we're, the funeral will be in a week. You, we, we're okay. And your dad has been through, I mean. <laughs> There's an ascended master of light and he would hate for me to say that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's so spiritual and he doesn't know it. He's lived with major health issues for so long. And I don't know anyone who hasn't had, he hasn't had food or drink in 17 plus years now. 17 years, not even a glass of water. Uh, He has a tube twice a day, but he goes, I still go golfing. I can drive long distances. He's got all kinds of happy outlooks. He he wrote his memoirs. The book's out now. He's got, he's paints pictures. He's got all kinds of. What's it called? Huh? Oh, the book is called Where Was I? What's the book called? Where Was I? Because he keeps going on tangent forgetting his story. Um, and uh, and, he, and he, his real name is Terry Doyle, but he writes everything in, 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 as a real storyteller and changes everybody's name. So my name is Shay instead of James. I'm not sure exactly why, because it's not like we're celebrities and have to change our names. But uh, <laughs> it's a fun reading. I found out stuff from him I never knew before, but when it comes to a person, and, and, and I had no idea how much he rubbed off on me till I read the book, and I'm like, this is my book. Yeah. I mean, and the- and I always knew that about you. Well, yeah, yeah. My friends always said, you're like your dad, and I can see you and your dad are best friends, and yeah, I heard that a lot, but, but when I read the book, I went, he never told me all of this stuff that's in the book, but he showed me every day he was doing something. So my outlook and taking a day and every day is going to be a-okay. It might be good. It might not be so good, but there's something cool is going to happen. Jump out of bed, seize the day and, and make the most of it. Well, we got to go. Uh, we have a time limit on this one. Just mm-hmm. too bad. Cause of course you and I have spent many years just talking and talking and talking and we still haven't run out of things to talk about. So. No. And you keep coming up with new questions. <laughs> That's, that's how I roll. Yeah. Um, I just want to say thank you for doing this with me. I love you. And I, I know that being in, in the middle of a pandemic for a guy like you, who is such a social connector and butterfly and magic yeah. maker has been tough. But uh, I know you and I know you're resilient. And I know you just keep going, whatever, just like your dad. It's like, yeah. I can't eat. Let's go on a road trip. You know, <laughs> so I, I think you got the same genes going as him. And the, and the unicorns from your mom. And it's a wonderful thing to see all of them come together in you. So, um, you know. Thanks. And God, the only piece God of, bless you, James. <laughs> the only piece of advice I would offer anybody who wanted to listen is uh, uh, Mr. Spock. Uh, he said once, uh, there is no station in life that is ever permanent. So when you're fortunate, enjoy. 
but keep it real. He didn't quite say it like that, paraphrasing. And, and, it, and when times are really bad, like right now, this is not permanent. This is not the new normal. This is a little bit weird, may last a little longer, but nothing's permanent. So when you're having a shitty time, it's okay. Just ride it through and it'll, it'll be different. Thank you, my friend. James B, yeah. uh, what's your website? Oh, uh, J-A-Y-M-Z-B-E-E.ca. James B.ca, James J-A-Y-M-Z-B-E-E.ca. Or J-A-Y-M-Z for our U.S. listeners. Ah, Z. Z, 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 Z. All right, take care of yourself. I'm sure. Ralph Benberg, not that kind of rabbi is the name of this podcast. If you want to get in touch with me, uh, I have a Facebook page, not that kind of rabbi. Uh, Instagram as well, and not that kind of rabbi, and uh, Twitter at Ralph Ben Murgy. Uh, please join, like, and have fun. And see, he's got wine. He's always got wine. James B has been my guest. You take care of each other, and uh, we'll see you soon on this particular podcast.
This podcast has been produced by TMDS and accelerated by Rome Phone. Rome Phone brings you the most reliable virtual phone service to run your business and protect your home number from unwanted calls. Visit romephone.ca to get started.